Welcome to another episode of The Agora, the podcast from Greece. I'm Nick Malkoutsis. And I'm Phoebe Fronista, and we're back to fill you in on the latest developments in this part of the world. On today's show, we'll be doing one of our regular check-ins with the Greek economy. More specifically, we'll be looking at how the economy has been faring under the year-long pressure of COVID-19. It's incredible to think that it's been just over 12 months since the first death from the coronavirus here in Greece, and today we're at more than 7,000 deaths and still under lockdown and curfews. It is really hard to fathom, and it looks like there is still some way to go before we can draw a line under this. Later on in this episode, we'll be speaking to two experts from Macropolis to find out exactly what kind of toll the ongoing pandemic has taken on the Greek economy which wasn't in the best of shape to start off with. Yes, we'll be discussing with Macropolis co-founder Yanis Mouzakis and economics editor Marcus Bensonson about the latest figures, which suggest that there was a massive hit to GDP last year, but, surprisingly, not as big as had been expected. Yanis and Marcus are going to explain why that is, what it means, and what other developments we can look at to give us an idea of how COVID-19 is shaping our economic present and future. But first, we're going to cheer you up with an economic success story. Oh, we certainly need one of those. I've been speaking to Marcus Stoltz, who lives in Athens and who's helped make Greek wines a hit in the US market, East and West coasts. Wow. So this sounds like startups, high quality Greek products and successful exporting all rolled into one. Take that, COVID. Exactly. I caught up with Marcus outside his office, which is right by the sea near the port of Piraeus, to talk about how he has built up his business, how Greek wines have become sought after, and to what extent his line of business has been affected by the pandemic. Um, how did I get into wines? When I moved to Greece, I started to taste the Greek wines. I have been wine lover for all my life. Um, and uh, it was an eye-opener for me because I, there were so many indigenous varieties that only grow in Greece. And I thought, you know, it's simply impossible to p- become bored with the wines here. And I noticed that quality was going up and up every year. Um, I've been working in finance, actually, for most of my life, and I was working here in Athens for a hedge fund. Um, But when the financial crisis started to hit in 2008, it became really quickly clear to me that there was no future in finance increase at all for the years to come. And um, I decided to do what I love most, which was to do something professionally with wines. 
But that was easier said than done, because less than 10% of all Greek wine production was being exported, and there was almost no demand for it. So I started to write actually letters to wine merchants in the UK and in Germany, um, offering Greek wines. And um, from the hundred letters I sent out, I think I received less than five replies. And all five replies were, you know, leave us alone with Greek wines. Uh, the label are horrible. The prices are too high. The quality is not there. There was a lot of prejudice in the market. Undeterred, Marcus decided that education was in order and he transformed himself into a one-man band cheerleader for Greek wines. Because he believed that if people had tasted what he had, demand would materialize. And so in the beginning of 2009, I started to write a blog on a weekly basis called Elinos, E-L-L-O-I-N-O-S. Um, and there I educated for about five years. I wrote every week, I wrote a column about Greek wines. At the same time, I got really active on Twitter. Uh, which at the time was, you know, you, you were able in 2009, 2010, 11, you were able really to connect with people. And um, my goal was to connect with everyone who had influence in the world of wines. So I connected with wine critics, with uh, sommeliers, with restaurant manager, and so on. And uh, it quickly became clear that the most serious interest was actually coming out of the United States. I was surprised that the market was all in all very interested. Um, they were interested in new varieties. They loved the stories about Greek wines. And this is one of the things I think is so great. I mean, Greece, with the culture, with uh, everything, you, you can storytell extremely well. Today, Marcus considers himself more of a consultant to the importers rather than a salesperson for the wineries. It took a few years for his business to really take off but he's definitely found a niche for himself and his wines. So there, there is quite a bit of difference there. And I did this from the outset uh, because my goal was to grow the pie for Greek wines, not to compete with other Greek wineries. All my importers, because they're Americans, uh, they pretty much have zero ethnic Greek accounts. So they really put the wines to new customers. And there we see a lot of interest. And what kind of uh, what, what kind of wines are most uh, palatable? Like what kind of grapes? Is it a white? Is it a red? Well, first of all, the interest from my importers is literally only in native Greek varieties. So I don't have a single international variety, not even in a blend. Um, but they're really the interest by now is there for different regions, for different varieties. Um, there's a certain excitement factor when I come with a new varietal that has not been in the market yet. My share is probably a little bit more whites than reds. Uh, I'd guess 60% whites and 40% reds. Like Asirtico, is that kind of something a big? Asirtico is something big. Yeah. Asirtico is probably by now the, the best known Greek variety. Um, has been had been really successful um, because in the beginning it was priced right. Uh, since then, demand has risen, but at the same time, uh, we had some vintages in Santorini which were much smaller than the years before, so uh, grape price have exploded. So by now, the wines are very pricey. The past decade has seen an explosion in the quality of local wines, and Marcus believes this is only the beginning of a new chapter for Greek vineyards, especially the small ones. 
really during the last 10 years, I would say, is that quality has improved tremendously. And what has happened in addition is that many wineries are run by fairly young people by now that are educated, that want to change things, um, that understand that, you know, working organically or with natural wines is a thing, um, that are more educated in terms of marketing as well. So there are many, many very interesting things coming out of Greece at this moment in time. And I think we just see the, the tip of the iceberg of this. There has been a lot of work and people have really put in a lot of effort and they continue doing so. I would say 90% of all the Greek wineries, they have productions of less than 50,000 bottles a year, which is tiny compared to Spain or other producers from France. Um, but they can really put all their effort into the work in the vineyards because they have small plots. And, and even the larger co-ops in Greece, um, they typically, like the, the co-op in Nausa, um, they work with around 200 growers but each grower has less than a hectare of land on average, which, which is really a, a very interesting situation. So there the growers can really go for the best quantity and the co-op has very good material to work with. So do you think, I mean, this coincides with our economic crisis. Was, was the economic crisis a, a catalyst for change? A big think? catalyst, yeah, because the, the crisis forced the Greek wineries for the first time to look abroad because uh, the demand within the country was dropping quite quickly. And uh, for the first time, the wineries had to look for export market in order to compensate for the drop in demand here. And this has gone hand in hand with the technical revolution, with the understanding of a different price structure. The interest is there also for innovative products abroad. So I have executed last year the first ever Greek canned wine. So it's like a Coca-Cola can, but for wine. Um, the canned wine market in the U.S. is the fastest growing wine segment for the last several years. And not only did we do a Greek canned wine, uh, it was also an orange wine. Uh, orange wine is made when you leave the skins with the juice for a longer period of time together, and then the juice takes on the color so it becomes orange, the color. So we have Greek orange wine in the can in the U.S., and that has created quite a lot of buzz. So his business is growing. He's traveling all over Greece, finding new wine varieties. And then COVID-19 causes the global economy to come to a halt. And something really interesting happened. I can only talk about my own perspective, so this might not be the case for the Greek wine market in general, um, but my experience was very interesting. Um, it became really clear when the restaurant closed, there was a lot of panic in the market. Um, and I mean, restaurant sales traditionally have, of course, been very important for every wine seller, restaurants and wine bars, of course. Um, so they shut down. What has happened is on the West Coast where I work, restaurant business during last year was down by 47%. And on the East Coast where I work, uh, restaurant business was down 70%. These are big numbers. But what happened really quickly is, first of all, the importers I work with were really quick to divert the business and concentrate on retail sales. So wine shops, 
um, wine clubs and so on. And what has happened there is that uh, on the West Coast, retail has increased by 13%, and on the East Coast, retail has increased by 38%. So it was not that less wine got consumed, it was just the location was shifting. Now, on my side, it has been an amazing year in 2020 because um, on the West Coast, the Greek wine sales were up 41% for the year. And on the East Coast, Greek retail sales were up more than 100% on the year. Now, where is that coming from? Where is the demand coming from? It's really a newfound interest about the richness and the diversity of the Greek vineyards on the part of the consumers and the wine buyers. So it, it goes hand in hand. And um, there were some business opportunities that also led to the increase uh, of sales for me which was that I had always demand for some specific wineries that I could not meet because they were successful in selling their production on an annual basis and they have to take care of all their clients. And um, when COVID struck a few weeks later, I kind of assumed that the Greek sales would drop quite a bit. So these specific wineries, I called them up and I said, how do you see things? Do you think you have excess stock that I can use? And there I was able to take this excess stock that was available and divert it to the US market, which, which had been uh, uh, very important to me. Another example was another winery um, that I had demand for. I called them up to see what was going on, and they also said, well, you know, we have some big orders that got cancelled because the restaurants are shut down. So I was able to take all that wine and divert it to the U.S. Wow. So for yeah. me, 2020, my own sales to the U.S. have literally doubled. And uh, it seems that this demand is continuing because I had a, a very encouraging start for 2021 as well. And I've spoken to my importers, and they also um, they see that um, because of the economic stimulus that has just passed, and that the restaurants start opening up again, and also that in the U.S. there is lo less panic actually with um, contracting the virus via dining, so they expect actually quite a boom to come this year. That was Marcus Stoltz, a man on a mission to export Greek wines to the USA in ever greater numbers. And it seems from what we heard there that he's well on his way to achieving his goal. I think we can all raise a glass to that. Is it wine o'clock already? Then I shall raise my red focchiano uh, from the island of Icaria. Of course, of course. To completely brag about my island. You know, you know, Nico, Homer himself wrote about our grapes. It's not my fault. They weren't, they weren't sour. <laughs> no. <laughs> what are you drinking? Well, Phoebe, given the circumstances, uh, I'd like to get my hands on the stiffest possible <laughs> drink uh, going. <laughs> uh, I, I have to admit, I'm not uh, a huge wine connoisseur. Though I have followed in the past uh, Marcus's uh, recommendations. But uh, I know a man who is uh, more of a wine connoisseur. My, my dad, in fact. And he uh, oh. poured me a glass of a Greek red wine called uh, Melisopetra the other day. Very uh, nice it was indeed. Uh, 
what do they say the, the amusing bouquet fruity aftertaste i don't know what the the language is but it was it was good so if you have a chance check it out awesome of course marcus's story isn't a typical one covid-19 has made things very difficult for greek businesses which were only just starting to recover from the knocks they suffered during the long economic crisis here in Greece during the previous decade. COVID's refusal to go away has also put a lot of pressure on the Greek government to support these businesses. That's right. Every few weeks, the finance minister or the Greek prime minister is announcing relief measures to help firms along and protect jobs until the crisis is over. Each time, They hope it's the last announcement they have to make because Greece's public finances, as we all know, are extremely tight. Well, who better to discuss all this than with the guys from Acropolis, Yanis Mouzakis and Marcus Bensesin, who have been following all this very closely. Yeah, we had a really informative discussion with Yanis uh, and Marcus, and it began with me asking Yanis about the economic cost of COVID and which sectors have suffered most in Greece. Guys, in the first half of the show, we heard about what we could call a Greek success story, at least a line of business that has been able to weather the last year of pandemic woes. But this hasn't been the experience of many Greek businesses. The virus and the repeated long lockdowns have taken their toll. Yanis, where do we stand at the moment in terms of the economic cost of COVID-19 in Greece? Which sectors, for instance, are suffering most? Well, we recently had the, the, the latest GDP data that covered the whole of 2020 released by Elstat. And uh, to, to some extent, they were a positive uh, surprise for uh, all of us and for the government as well, because uh, the last quarter was not the, the, the contraction was not as severe as we thought. And actually, on a quarterly basis, it, uh, it uh, increased uh, compared to the third quarter. So overall, the economy shrunk by 8.2% in 2020 when uh, the government and most of the institutions that monitor the Greek economy, they were expecting around uh, uh, 10%. So to to some extent, this is positive news because uh, it will also have uh, a, a more uh, mild effect on the transition from uh, 2020 into 2021, what they, you, know, you call the, the carryover effect. Uh, however, it, you know, it goes without saying that every single sector that had to do with uh, services and um, largely human interaction in Greece, uh, sectors like uh, retail, the, the food service and accommodation, uh, they, they've been suffering uh, pretty much over the last, uh, with very few exceptions, over the last 12 months. Uh, for instance, so, se- sectors which are traditionally important for the Greek economy. Indeed, for instance, the the overall retail trade for uh, for 2020 uh, was down by nearly nine percent from uh, roughly 52 billion in 2019. We are down to uh, 47 billion. Uh, the, to some extent, this is uh, partially offset by uh, 
good sales in supermarkets, which were up by 5.2%, and also uh, electronic sales. Because of the lockdowns, a lot of the sales took place uh, through e-shops, either existing e-shops or the ones that uh, some of the companies created uh, during the the crisis. And actually, e-sales were up by 18% to nearly half a billion. But then on the other side of the spectrum, you have uh, more traditional retail sectors like, uh, for instance, clothing, which was down 36%. uh, Cosmetics products were down 39%. um, uh, Sales in outdoor markets were down nearly 40%. So uh, as you can see, the the more traditional retail side has has suffered serious uh, losses over the last uh, 12 months. And of course, we have the, the, the obvious casualties that everybody has been talking about uh, related to tourism. The accommodation uh, uh, turnover over 2020 was down by 67%. We went from uh, nearly 7 billion to just 2.3. And also the, the pinches fell by the food services sector, which is down by nearly 38%. And we had more than six billion sales in 2019, and now we are we were at 3.8 in uh, in 2020. There's there's good and bad. There are negatives and positives. Uh, of course, the Greek government has been trying to look on the the positives naturally and believes that better days are just around the corner as the vaccine rollout uh, continues and uh, hopefully uh, COVID is. Uh, under control, and the government's already making plans for the gradual lifting of restrictions, starting with the retail sector, possibly uh, this month in March, and then opening Greece for tourism from mid-May. But as you mentioned there, Yanis, one of the biggest sources of encouragement was the latest GDP figures. It seems that the economic contraction, as you mentioned, in 2020 was smaller than expected, But Marcus, what can we read into the data which points to a decrease of 8.2% as uh, Jans mentioned? Well, look, I'm a little wary of reading too much into the data because uh, it's subject to a lot of revisions. Uh, But more importantly, 8.2% is still a very big contraction. That said, as you correctly point out, I mean, it is a lot less than uh, what the government and the institutions were all expecting. So... There is some encouragement there. Uh, if you look into the breakdown uh, as well, yeah, government spending, um, you know, was a, a big factor as well as uh, exports, um, you know, doing better. But also if you look at private consumption, which, you know, dropped a lot, it was dropped 5.2%. But that was also a lot less than uh, people were expecting. I mean, the government's forecast was for 7.7%. So, uh, and that's, you know, obviously a critical part of the uh, component of the overall picture. Uh, For me, one of the big takeaways there uh, is that uh, fiscal support for the economy, it works. I mean, you have, um, you know, government spending propping things up, but then you also have a multiply effect, which is why private consumption hasn't done so badly. It also kind of ties in with some of the uh, other data that we have that, uh, you know, household deposits have been doing very well. Uh, in the past year. Overall, I mean, I think going back to what we were talking about, at the, Yanis was talking about at the beginning in terms of, you know, which sectors have been hit the most. I mean, what you're really seeing is uh, a freezing, an intentional freezing of the economy. I mean, this was the plan 
uh, you know, to deal with uh, the pandemic. And it shows through in the data as well. And I think one of the most interesting releases that have come from Elstat in the you know, last few weeks has been uh, you know, a release on you know, business demographics and you know, a survey of companies are opening and, and closing. And, and when you have such a big contraction, 8.2%, you normally think of oh, depression conditions. You're going to have companies closing left, right, and center. But what you're actually seeing is that, you know, compared with 2019, the year before, there's a 23% decrease uh, in the number of companies uh, that have closed. I mean, that means that even companies that under normal circumstances you would expect to uh, stay open, uh, actually, you know, uh, so under normal circumstances, you would expect to close, uh, actually, you know, with business activity being, you know, frozen in a way, you know, these are staying open. Uh, this is encouraging in a sense uh, that, uh, you know, when we do get through, uh, you know, the health crisis, when the vaccine does start rolling out, I mean, the economy, you know, hopefully, you know, corporations you know, or, or firms, you know, are hurt, but they can pick up and continue where they left off, hopefully, without too much long-term structural damage uh, to the economy. Right. And uh, of course, that's one of the issues that's been discussed a lot at the moment is uh, when we come out of this and, and this uh, support mechanism is is uh, winded, uh, wound down as, as it has to be because of Greece's very tight public finances, but also that that's what's going to go on everywhere else. Will uh, a lot of these businesses which have managed to uh, stay afloat, uh, survive the crisis, maybe not in great shape, will they be able to uh, survive and will the economy be there to uh, support them without the uh, public funding, the fiscal support that uh, we've seen over the last uh, 12 months? Of course, one of the things that uh, the Greek government is banking on uh, in the months ahead and over the next few years is the money that will come from the EU Recovery Fund or the RRF as it's also known, which uh, Athens hopes will help boost growth this year as uh, Greece tries to leave the coronavirus behind. Yanis, what kind of growth is expected and how does the government believe the EU funds will be put to best use? Well, the RRF had a a really critical role to play in uh, 2021, uh, back in November when the government presented the budget for the year, uh, because it would be around two percentage points in the GDP growth contribution of 4.8% that the government was uh, expecting at the time. Now it's taking even more center stage because with the first quarter essentially in some form of lockdown and a very poor, uh, you know, macro performance. The, the the estimates for the year have been significantly revised down. So the the funding from the RRF uh, will be critical. Overall, uh, over the next few years, Greece expects around thirty two billion, split between um, over nineteen billion in grants and around twelve point six thirteen billion in in loans. So for uh, more than near term, for this year, the the RRF and uh, grants from React EU will be a combined 5.5 billion. Uh, it's going to be around roughly the estimates of the government of uh, getting pro- potentially 2% out of the 3% growth for this year. So as you can imagine, it has a, a, a very important role. 
And its role is so important that uh, because of some of the delays into releasing the funds that will probably take us into the summer, the government is even willing to put some advances out of the state budget to get the projects rolling until the, the first uh, prepayment from the EU is going to come potentially in July. So Greece is effectively saying that we'll we'll put the money up initially and then once it comes in from the EU, we'll replenish state coffers. They must must think based on the discussions that have been going on for the last few months that probably some of the projects that they want to kick off, they will get the approval because they are within the four uh, priorities of the EU on the funding. So from what we've heard, the first projects will probably be more low-hanging fruit, uh, like uh, a voucher for purchase of PCs for students, uh, some uh, potentially uh, building improvements to make them more eco-friendly. There's also a program of uh, enhancing professional skills, which is about 300 million. And there's also the the bigger project of uh, the electric connectivity of, um, of the islands and also... Uh, distribution of cashiers that will be connected online with the tax authorities. Uh, the, the the one we've been hearing about for years, putting yeah, the, for the cash tills years, online. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, going to happen. Okay. This, this issue with the advance of uh, some of the money from the government budget really goes to the crux of um, you know the dilemma yeah. um, for the government, where the RRF funds uh, are you know such a crucial central pillar of the recovery from the pandemic but then there are also this, this horrible wait until they can start making a difference and you know you could you can feel the exasperation from the finance ministry you know with each week or with each day you know in terms of the cost of this this lockdown i mean it's it's this weird thing that on the one hand uh, they keep on you know stakeholders whenever he comes out he comes out and says yes you know obviously we're going to support the economy as much as he takes but you know each time you know there's always this emphasis though of on, on, on the government's resources are finite you know it's, it's it's something that has to be underlined um, yeah. you know each time and that comes through in the mm-hmm. The messaging so there's it, it feels like a, a real white knuckle ride you know this first half of the year you know and uh, or, or this time until the, the 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 vaccine really starts making a difference it feels um like a roller coaster yeah the picture in the economy very much mirrors the sort of health picture in that you you've got the vaccine starting now but at the same time your uh health data is uh, well, essentially terrible for the time being, but you can see that there is uh, the potential to improve. And it's the same on the on the economic front where the government is having to uh, hand out money all the time. But at the other, on the other side, it can see that, you know, the RRF money coming in, the economy uh, turning for the, for, for the better. And it's just sort of getting through this uh, very difficult period. But Marcus, um, obviously we're talking about the, the, recovery fund money that will come in from the EU and apart from boosting the economy and, and Yanis mentioned there that the, the target is for adding about 2% of uh, GDP. Uh, there's also the discussion about how this money can be used to transform Greece's growth model. But for the time being, at least, tourism is still a key pillar for the economy. And after navigating the first COVID uh, wave last last year quite well, uh, there were hopes that uh, Greek tourism would benefit. 
Instead, what we saw is that it turned out to be a nightmare year with arrivals down by around 75%. What's the prognosis for this year? And just how important is it that 2021 isn't another washout for Greek tourism? Yeah, there's a bit of a sense of deja vu here, isn't there? And that last year, you know, the the prognosis uh, for tourism got uh, progressively worse and worse after starting off the pandemic, hoping that, yeah, things will be down, but not too bad, uh, when in the end, clearly it was. Uh, that said, I mean, I think it definitely will be a lot better than last year, because it's going to be hard for it to uh, be as bad. And uh, uh, so, even if uh, you have a hundred percent increase in in tourism this year, though, it's still going to be down. Um, you know, it's still going to be less than half what it was in two thousand and nineteen, which is a real record bumper year. Um, again, I'm going to tie it back again to the fiscal support. I mean, where it really matters, where it's really important, is that uh, you know, there's the fiscal capacity of the state to let you know firms get through this unscathed. Because anyway, you look at it. It's still going to be a bad year. It might be better than expected. It might be a little bit worse than expected. What we're expecting is better than it was last year. But when you look at how important tourism is to the Greek economy, it's not going to be able to step up to that role it has this year. Um, I mean, it is still uh, a matter of, you know, getting through this crisis as far as the sector is concerned until, you know, better times return, you know, next year, hopefully. Um so uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, hopefully, though, fingers crossed. I mean, maybe uh, maybe we see a situation where uh, the health situation, perhaps in terms of people getting vaccinated, you know, there's a pickup more quickly than um, we expect because the news, you know, at the start of the year has been you know pretty bleak when it comes to the EU uh, vaccine rollout, and then perhaps things uh, surprise on the upside. Uh, a little bit, but obviously, you know, getting the the health aspect of this right first is, uh, you know, the most important thing. And and then let's hope that uh, in terms of you know fiscal capacity, uh, you know, to get firms through this, uh, let's hope that that holds up. Mm-hmm. Okay, Yanis, let's round off our discussion by going back to the uh, chat we heard in the first part of the podcast when. Marcus Stoltz explained to Phoebe how he's been able to secure more exports of Greek wines to the USA. What's the overall picture regarding Greek exports? Have they been badly affected by COVID-19? Uh, do their prospects look encouraging? Yeah, as you, as you would expect, uh, trade globally was affected uh, last year and, and Greece was no different on that aspect. Um, overall, the the trade deficit shrank last year from a combination of falling uh, imports and exports. So uh, if exports, if you include in the uh, oil-related products, which are a, a really big part of uh, of our economic model in the sense that we are importing crude oil and we refine it and we you know, use it domestically or we even export it as uh, uh, refined petroleum products. Uh, exports were down by 9.3% because also the price of oil was um, hitting really uh, real lows uh, throughout the year. Uh, however, if you strip out the effect of uh, oil products, uh, exports actually grew by nearly 3% in 2020, which is uh, very encouraging. Uh, again, uh, petroleum products is the is the big chunk of uh, what we export with uh, 
more than uh, 6 billion euros in uh, in sales uh, but uh, you know the it looks like some of the sectors uh, managed to hold uh, well and actually they they held well their uh, uh, market shares in foreign markets. Uh, Italy is still the um, country with the, where we send most of our products. Mm-hmm. has a roughly 11% share. And it's followed by Germany at 8%, uh, Cyprus just above 6 and uh, France at uh, nearly 6%. So I think that's a very positive uh, note on which to uh, leave the discussion, the fact that even in these very difficult times, there have been some uh, bright points for Greek exports in uh, particular. Yanis, Marcus, thank you very much for joining us on the Agora podcast. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Acropolis co-founder Yanis Mouzakis and economics editor Marcus Bensison walking us through the economic impact of COVID-19. As we heard just there, the pandemic has been really painful for Greek businesses and some key sectors, but there are some hopeful signs that we can cling on to as we weather the remainder of this storm. In the meantime, I'll just finish the bottle here, if you don't mind. Oh, very nice. To keep our spirits up. I'll, I'll drink to that, Phoebe. <laughs> So, we've come to the end of another episode of the Agora. And we're still sober. Yes. (laughs) Our next episode is already in the works, as we hope to dip into Greece's bicentennial celebrations, all socially distanced, of course. And uh, we aim to find out more about the Greek War of Independence. We'll also try to capture Greece's current zeitgeist as we reflect on 200 years of statehood. And, more importantly, we'll do all that while not having any guests called Marcus. (laughs) I hope you guys weren't confused. (laughs) Until then, remember that you can find us on Acast, Apple, Google, and Spotify. Please subscribe and rate us. We welcome any feedback. And you can find out more about Macropolis at www.macropolis.gr. That's Macropolis with a C. And we started with wine, so we'll finish with grapes. The Burgundy Grapes, who have been providing us with our theme music from the very beginning. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.